happy soul circumnavigation. Hello, happy new year in a very fancy way. I must always be fancy, of course. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> so we are already in 2020. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Wow. <laughs> And you are not completely wrong talking about the, how do you say? The solar circumnavigation? Solar circumnavigation, because that is what we do once per year. That's it is indeed what we do. We, we circumnavigate the sun. And actually, we can take as the first moment of this orbit around the sun, mm -hmm. not only the 1st of January, but the moment of the perihelion. Yeah, the perihelion. That so is... The closest approach the Earth has to the Sun. Some people from the Northern Hemisphere cannot believe this because it is now, it is happening mm. on the 5th of January the this year. January. It is the 5th of January 2020 at 7.48 Universal Time. Ooh. That means that still from some people in the other part of the world will be on the 4th, on right. the late 4th. For here in Australia, will be at almost 7 p.m. on the 5th of January. That's right, we're reaching the perihelion. Yeah. The closest approach to the sun. Another, I mean, it's less arbitrary than saying the 1st of January is the first day of the year, so... That reminds me that eventually we should talk about the evolution of the calendar. Ooh. But that is a another topic time. for another time, <laughs> not for another today. time, no. I'm Angel Lopez Sanchez. And I'm Kirsten Banks. And, and we, we are, are the Scientists. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 30 in total, episode 3 of season 3, and welcome to 2020! Yeah, 2020 already, can't believe it. Can't believe it. Episode number 30, can you believe it? I cannot. Do remember, like, it was more or less two years ago, pretty right much two years now, ago. when we started this idea of yeah. recording a podcast about astronomy, but mixing amateur astronomy, professional astronomy, research, space news, and fun, fun mm. plenty of fun. I'm not sure about the last episode, if it was very funny or not. That's okay. Today's, today's episode is going to be fun, I promise. <laughs> okay, good, good on that. We can start with a bit of feedback. Yes, we have a few comments and questions. Uh, yes, definitely, because it is something that we have not been doing that much lately. Yes. <clears throat> but uh, let's go to try to do it now. And I'm going to go in reverse order using Twitter, of course, because <laughs> I'm a Twitter person. We are Twitter person. We are Twitter people. More than Facebook? Yes, I think so. I certainly think so. I don't look for me in Facebook. I mean, I am in Facebook, but I'm not checking. If you send me a, an email or a message in Facebook, probably we'll see it in two, three, four, five months. <laughs> so let's go to start recommending a very nice project that is spaceaustralia.com. Yes. Great stuff happening there. Yes. And great support for us from there too. Yes. Without even asking, which is just absolutely fantastic. Space.com.au. Dot com. Just dot com. Just dot right. com. Space.com is fantastic, a great resource as well. Tell us more about it, Angel. So that is a project that uh, was started. It is basically all coordinated by our friend uh, Remy Mando, if I pronounce your name properly, Rami. Find him on Twitter at Cosmic Rami. Fantastic account, fantastic person. Uh, yes, great um, dog as well. Yeah, the dog, fantastic. <laughs> and plenty of very interesting topics to talk about. And he's in charge of this uh, spaceaustralia.com, trying to compile different aspects of space news, Australian news, 
news connected to astronomy and space. And your favorite podcast. And your favorite podcast for sure, including us and including some few other podcasts that we will mention in a moment. It is very easy to have a look to the website, even with the phone, and just scroll down and get in the information that you want about the space news. So mm, definitely. And, in terms and of events as well. Events, yes. Yeah. Have the space events and opinions from different people and companying the podcast. And here we are. Hey, the yeah, scientists. And a space junk. Too um, good. Definitely have a look to it. And thank you very much for all the publicity that you are doing us. good that is one of the things that we had for feedback similarly we wanted to recommend to everybody if you have not done it yet just to go and listen to the astrophys podcast yes great podcast that i myself have been a guest on fantastic podcast hearing from different experts in their fields honestly just a great all-rounder every episode has a different uh, person mm-hmm. talking so it is uh, brendan o'brien who is in charge of organizing and doing all these po- podcasts uh, he have already published 96 episodes as the day that we are recording mm-hmm. today the last one having for example uh, professor Geraint lewis cosmic horizon another very good person to follow in twitter talking about cosmology mm-hmm. um, sometimes also uh, i am musgrave amateur astronomer is just talking about the different aspects the kind of the similar to whatsapp mm-hmm. but more like real whatsapp not what we are doing here yeah <laughs> that we are arbitrarily saying we are going to be talking today about a kernel okay let's go to talk about a kernel <laughs> <laughs> no it's actually what is happening all those kind of asteroids comets mm. or conjunction between different planets and so on so definitely it is worth it to have a look to. I have been also been in Astrofits for a couple of times, although not lately, so... <clears throat> we need a new one. I'm, I'm waiting for your phone call, <laughs> Brendan. Good. Um, more questions. Um, remember that a couple of episodes ago, the first episode of season three, we were talking about Rigel. Yes. And we connected that with the Halloween episode <laughs> in season two with the head witch uh, Nebula. Yes. Well, our friend Peter in Twitter, Cafuego, just sent us a very nice image that I thought I have. I, don't know, I didn't. Uh, I probably, I think that we comment about that. But mm. it is all the southern constellation of Orion with the Orion Nebula and the Orion Belt and Rigel and... The nebula. Oh! So it's very nicely seen there. So thank you very much, Peter, for sharing that. And then we have a question. A question! Yes! Excellent! A I love question questions! From Oz Scooter. Hey there, the scientist. Where would you go if you had to leave Earth to save the human race? Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. Is it too soon? <laughs> Let me continue with that. He was actually commenting on another tweet that said some scientists favor Proxima V as a potential escape route from Earth. Mm-hmm. Although this planet is 4.24 light years distant from our sun, almost inimaginably far away, scientists are tracking the problem of multi-generation space travel in a serious way. And there is a link to this paper mm-hmm. article talking about that. Well, definitely going to Proxima B is not a good idea. No, not a good plan. Proxima B is, while it is a small star, it is a feisty star. Yeah. 
it, it is it's blowing off a lot of steam, a lot of solar wind, and the planet that orbits around Proxima b is tidally locked to the star. So similar to how our moon is tidally locked to the Earth, only one face of the planet faces the star at any one time, which is so not good. <laughs> what is happening there, it is if you are in the part of the planet that is looking into the star, you are always having that always star at the sun. on the sky. Yep. And probably you will be burned. Yes, because although it is, it is a nice mild 35 degrees or so, I believe, from memory. Yeah, pro probably, but it's still, but still, not, not still because these uh, red dwarf stars have plenty of these flares and mm. X-rays, explosion and so on. But if you are on the opposite part of the planet... Be very cold. You have to be very cold. And, well, not and, and with temperature profiles like that around the planet, the winds, if assuming that there's a assuming decent atmosphere, assuming the winds on that planet would be furious. Yeah. If there is an atmosphere, because if not, even... Yeah, if there's an atmosphere, it's like, bow, bow. Anyway, well, it is just an experiment of an idea of the way we humans could travel, not only to planets in our solar system. Mm. <laughs> if it is difficult going to Mars, imagine going to Proxima B. Mm -hmm. But we have not answered this question. So, so where, planet, would, you where go would you go if you have to leave Earth? Uh, hmm. I don't know, to be honest. Actually, maybe I would go inside a nebula, a planet inside a star inside a nebula. That would be kind of pretty. Because it is pretty. It'd be just, pretty. Just that's, that's, that. that's the only reason. And you are not considering all the magnetic fields and all the turbulent <laughs> movement of the gas. Or well, you know, the, it's minor details. The, the <laughs> very likely probability that one of the massive stars explodes at a supernova in a short period of time. Eh, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. You want it's just fine. to have the pretty... I just want a pretty sky. <laughs> oh, really, I will say that right now I don't want to go to any other place. What mm. we have to do to take care of our Earth. Yes, I agree. Probably in the future when we will be able to discover exoplanets that are similar to our Earth, that have atmosphere, that probably even have life, and we very probably see that in not the next decade, as some people are already arguing, but in our generation, then perhaps we can start considering how we could go to those places that maybe some few tens light years away that mm. will be very challenging and difficult. So stay on Earth. We'll stay here. Yeah. Solve yeah. the problem of climate change and many other problems on the Earth and keep it safe. Yes. Good. What a great question. Okay. Well, we have done a bit of feedback. Yes. Yippee. Excellent. Let's go to Space News. Space News. I'm going to go first because I like my Space News. My Space News is really cool. So my Space News is about... An interstellar visitor. An interstellar visitor. Yes, we've had one, but now we have two. So we have... Oumuamua. Oumuamua. Which was an asteroid. Or comety asteroid, uh, or a, a dirty asteroid. Kind of comet. Yeah, com more comet-like than an asteroid. It had some few mix between the two of them, but it didn't have a clear atmosphere, so it was an asteroid. Yes. But now we have 2i Borisov. Borisov. Borisov, which is indeed a comet. It is a comet. It is. So yes. It's the first ever interstellar comet observed. And only recently observed as well. Mm -hmm. Only recently, just last year, it was first observed by Borisov. Borisov. Of course. Yes. Of course. And what's really interesting is uh, the comet, including the coma and the tail. Okay, remember in a previous episode we talked about asteroids and comets, so the coma and the tail all together is 14 times the size of the Earth, mm -hmm. which well, is quite big. It is what's happening with comets. Mm -hmm. that they sometimes, what is the solid part, let's say it that way, the central part, the nucleus, 
is relatively tiny. It can mm. be only some few kilometers, not even tens of yes. kilometers, some I'm few kilometers. Asleep. But all the atmosphere, the coma, the tails, they can be even 100 million of kilometers mm, long. Indeed. The Earth's radius is about 6,000 kilometers. So it's, it's, it's big. Yes, it's, it's a lot. Big. It's, <laughs> it's a lot. It's really big. What's really interesting is, so its actual designation is 2I slash 2019 Q4, and its name, Borisov. After the discoverer. After the discoverer. Where the 2I designation, where I stands for interstellar. Interstellar. Hmm. Of course, it makes sense. And two, because it's the second one. Excellent. Hmm. It was observed coming into the solar system, which means we were able to observe it for a long time, a lot longer than Oumuamua, because Oumuamua was on its outward trajectory Mm -hmm. when we discovered it. And it had an inward trajectory and it would speed of 32.2 kilometers per second. So a fraction faster than a more and more, mm-hmm. which is very, just seemed interesting. And on the 8th of December 2019, the comet reached perihelion, which was about two astronomical units away from the sun. So about twice the distance twice from the, distance from the, the Earth. Earth. Uh, so, the well, yeah, twice the distance of the Earth to the sun, yes. So it was discovered on the 30th of August in 2019 by amateur astronomer Gennady Borisov. Russian. Russian, yes. At his personal observatory, Margo, using a 0.65-metre telescope he designed and built himself. Which is quite impressive. Very impressive. And now that you're talking about that, I remember two episodes ago when we were doing the kind of the summary of the season two, just with updating with some news about what had happened in the last six months that we mm. have not been able to record. And I should have mentioned the comet, I too, but I saw. Well, I'm mentioning it now. <laughs> yes, are, at least you are making it now, because I completely forgot about that. They have been quite in the news uh, lately, mm-hmm. and we are starting to have plenty of nice images of the comet, yes. although it's still a bit far away from us, mm-hmm. but it's trying to be very well studied because it is an interstellar comet. Mm-hmm. And I want to read a little excerpt from Borisov himself describing his discovery. I observed it on August 29, but it was August 30 Greenwich time. I saw a moving object in the frame. It moved in a direction that was slightly different from that of main asteroids. Obviously the first indication mm-hmm. like, oh, what's going on here? I measured its coordinates and consulted the Minor Planet Center database. Turned out it was a new object. I then measured the near-Earth object rating. It is calculated from various parameters and it turned out to be 100%. In other words, dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> In such cases, I must immediately post the parameters to the World Web page for confirmation of dangerous asteroids. So I posted it and wrote that the object was diffuse and that it was not an asteroid, but a comet. Mm-hmm. There you go. Cool. So, so again, cool. another nice example of how amateur astronomers can enormously contribute to astronomical research. Indeed. That Indeed. is another beautiful example of that. Mm. But it wasn't at that point where it was determined mm. that it was actually interstellar. No, It actually lo- took a couple of weeks to you, confirm. You need some few observational data to reconstruct the orbit. That's and right. only with the orbit you can say, okay, this comet or this object doesn't have an elliptical orbit. Mm. That means it has an hyperbolic orbit. In fact, that- its eccentricity is about three something or other. Mm-hmm. In the moment that you have eccentricity larger than one, you have an hyperbolic object. Yes, and this has a heliocentric orbital eccentricity of 3.36. So it's most certainly very much hyperbolic. Yeah. Very much so indeed. So there we go. An interstellar comet where some people are starting to call it another Christmas comet because it's, you know, nice and close around Christmas. Uh, well, still, I think it is quite faint. Oh, yeah, still quite for... faint indeed. But there we go. It should be observable until at least September 2020. Mm-hmm. But in the northern hemisphere. 
In the Northern Hemisphere. Not in the Southern Hemisphere. In yeah. the Southern Hemisphere, we have already lost it. But so. still. Good, okay. Well, thank you very much for that. I have my own space news here that is quite interesting, putting plenty of things together regarding star formation, galaxies, stellar evolution, and technology. Because using ESO telescopes, ESO stands for European Southern Observatory Telescope, in particular the Very Large Telescope in Paranal Observatory in Chile, one of the instruments that is called Hawk 1. Excellent. That is an infrared camera to try to, to be able to see very distant objects because the dust, in some way, it is not affected in near-infrared as it is in optical wavelength, in the light that we see. So they have been studying as a part of a project that is called the Galactic Nucleus Survey. Ooh. They have been observing the central part of the Milky Way with a very good resolution. And with this data, they have been able to discover new details about the history of star formation in our Milky Way galaxy. Mm -hmm. And thanks to these observations, astronomers have found evidence for a very dramatic event in the life of the Milky Way that was like a very strong star formation event, a starburst. It was so intense that it resulted in over a hundred thousand supernova explosions. Whoa. <laughs> yep. Um, I like this because it is an international team of astronomers, of course, mainly from the U.S., Japan, and Germany. But the majority of the astronomers that are leading this project are actually from Spain. Ah, very nice. <laughs> that is why I wanted to bring it up. In particular, uh, Francisco Nogueras Lara, who he is now at the Max Planck Institute for Astronomy in Germany. He was leading all these observations and the new studies, and uh, they found that the formation of stars had not been continuous in the Milky Way. Mm -hmm. And the results were published in a very famous journal, Nature Astronomy. For providing a bit of extra details, they found that around 80% of the stars in the Milky Way central region formed in the earliest years of our galaxy, mm -hmm. between 8 and 13.5 billion years ago. The initial period of star formation was followed by about 6 billion years during which very few stars were born. And suddenly, that brought to an end by a very intense starburst around 1 billion years ago. That's not by long ago. No, no, not that much. In astronomical terms, of course. <laughs> no, and it is interesting because it is also connected to what kind of topic I do for my research. Sometimes starburst galaxies is galaxies that are forming plenty, plenty of stars at mm. a particular times. Our Milky Way galaxy currently is forming around one or two solar masses per year, mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. Well, in that moment, the Milky Way was forming stars at rates of more than 100 solar masses per year. Holy so moly. That, that it at least 50 to 100 times higher than the star formation rate that the Milky Way has now. Wow. So it was... That really, truly is a starburst. It is very interesting to see that happening. So it is actually the very first results coming from this survey, the Galactic Nucleus Survey, also producing beautiful images of the center of the oh, Milky wonderful. Way in the near infrared. We always like those. We will keep an eye to this kind of new data. Let's see what we can get also from future analysis of all these observations. Excellent. Great. Well, that's space news for us. And I thought that uh, for this episode, the first episode of 2020, I thought that we could do a bit of a uh, astronomy calendar. 
what's in what's in store for 2020 in our skies this very year? nice and now i let everything to kerstin she will be <laughs> talking while i'm just saying yes yes hello, yes, hello. yes yes and yes. i think there's, there's a few things in there i think you're <laughs> really going to enjoy let's see let's see because actually i don't know something i know one thing that is going to happen in 2020 mm-hmm. we'll get to we'll it get okay. we'll get there we'll get there Okay, so first things first. So January 3rd and 4th, we have the Quadrantids Meteor Shower. I can never say that correctly. Quadrantics. Quadrantids. Yes, Meteor Shower. Okay. Do you know why they are called Quadrantics? Does it happen four times a year? Nope. Once every four years? Nope. Something about four? (laughs) (laughs) This meteor shower, it is a bit more for observers in the northern hemisphere Mm -hmm. because the radiant... The radiant is the point where the meteors are coming from, mm-hmm. seen from the Earth. It is in the old constellation of the quadrant. Oh! That is why it is called quadrantic. That now it is the Bojero, uh, how it is in English. It doesn't say in this in the thing. This is upsetting. It should say where it comes from. This one. How do you pronounce that? Bo- uh, boots. Boots. Booties. Bo- boot- boots. Booties, I don't booties. know. <laughs> booties. Uh, so that constellation. The four brightest stars without taking into account Arturo, which mm-hmm. is the main star in the constellation, the brightest star in the constellation, in the old times they were the quadrant constellation. Uh, but after Hevelius, I think it was in the 16th or the 15th century, sorry, I don't remember very well on top of my head, mm-hmm. but it was in those times. He did a kind of reorganize all the constellation and put in a format that is the one that we are keeping now. Then that constellation disappeared and it is now part of Bootis. There you go. In the yeah. same way that the Argo Navis was broken in three different constellations. Right. Oh, there you go. See, so, yeah, I should have known that it would have been named after a constellation because all of them are named after constellations that yes. the radium point comes from. Mm-hmm. But I knew there wasn't a square constellation. <laughs> <It> was. <laughs> also on January 10th, we have a penumbral lunar eclipse. So not quite a total lunar eclipse, but it's where the moon will pass into the penumbral shadow of the Earth. So not quite the total shadow. Don't be crazy for that. It is very difficult to see. It won't be that great. No. Then we have February 9th, about a month after that, we have a full moon, but... The full moon. Not just a full moon. What is? A super moon. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> super moon. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was super moon on February 9th. I enjoy the super moon. Mm-hmm. We have on February 10th, Mercury at its greatest eastern elongation mm-hmm. okay, so, so we can see that through the east that means very be- high before, before the sun the comes sun, up sunrise mm-hmm. then are you ready on march 9 it's another super moon uh, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> these are the events that you're telling me these yep you are going to have fun with those oh okay, yes. yes oh yes uh, then on March 24, we have Mercury at its greatest western elongation. So the other way around. So the other way around. Also between there, we have March 20s and March equinox. That happens every year. Nothing too exciting about that because it yeah. does happen every year. Equinox is the moment in which really autumn starts in the southern hemisphere and the spring starts in the northern hemisphere. But Correct. I'm not going there anymore. We refer back to one no. of our very early <laughs> episodes no. for that conversation. No. But also on March 24... So we have Mercury at greatest western elongation. Mm-hmm. Also March 24, we have Venus at greatest eastern elongation. Okay. So there okay. we go. So both up one in the morning, one in the evening. Okay, then ready? April 8, it's another super moon. Oh, come on. <laughs> stop it. Please, stop it. Don't tease me more. Okay, so super moon on April 8. Then on April 22 and 23, we have the Lyrid meteor shower. So something that will be best for the northern hemisphere because mm-hmm. the Lyra constellation is... Very far north. No, but they still can be more or less so seen from reasonable here. from here. Yeah. The Lilits are another of these very nice meteor shower that we have regularly every year. So, yeah. 
Did you have a chance? Why not? Yeah, give it a go. Because then if you miss that, on May 6th and 7th, we have the Eta Aquarids meteor shower. The Eta Aquarids. And mm-hmm. it is from Aquario, yeah. meaning that it is better from the southern hemisphere. Mm-hmm. And then are you ready? May 7th. Another it's another supermoon. Super so it's how many supermoons are we Four have? in a four row. Four in a row. Mm-hmm. Do you believe now that supermoons are really something special oh, to consider? They're so rare. They're so rare, the supermoons. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so we go four supermoons in a row. Or an arbitrary definition of funny name that is coming from astrology. Mm-hmm. Stop it. Okay, let's go <laughs> for real things, please. Real things. So June 4, we're back to Mercury at greatest eastern elongation. Okay, so, so wait, wait, wait a moment. Mm-hmm. Why don't we explain that? We have not explained that. We have said that some few times, and perhaps our listeners are saying, what are they talking about? What are elongations? And why only Mercury and Venus mm. can be seen having a maximum elongation? What is this? So Mercury and Venus are, of course, a lot closer to the sun than we are, right? So we see them not track across the entire sky, but only go, they kind of swing up and back on different sides of the horizon. So when we have its largest or greatest eastern elongation, it means that it's highest part of its swing on the eastern side of the sky. Mm -hmm. So it appears to be in front of the sun before the sun comes up in the morning, which in terms of Venus, we would call it then the morning star. Yes. But then greatest western elongation, other side, on the west... Evening star. And because Venus and Mercury, especially Mercury, because we've heard about three different elongations for Mercury now, Mercury orbits around the sun every, what, 80 days or something? Mm -hmm. So that means every 40 days we see it very high in different parts of the sky. And it moves very, very quickly. It moves very quickly. So the point is, at the end of the day, it is that these two planets, they are much closer to the sun than the Earth is. We can Mm. only see them relatively close to the sun. If we were in Mars... You would see the Earth as well. The Earth will count as one of these planets having maximum elongations with respect to the east and the west, with respect to the sun. Mm. And if you move to Jupiter, then you will have all the interior planets doing that. If you were in Mercury... You'd have none. You wouldn't have none, exactly. So it is something very peculiar and particular to how planets are organized in the solar system. That raises the question of really all the crazy things that uh, in a Ptolemaic system, I mean in the system that you put the Earth in the center of the solar system and not the Sun, all the little details that you have to go considering different of these epicycles and the, the, the things and moving the planets around just to explain the movement of the planets in this uh, interior planet, they were just crazy. Mm. So there we go. That is what elongation means. Good. Okay. So, so we were still there around May. That's, that's June, June 4th. June, June, June 4th. 4th, greatest Mercury Eastern elongation. June 5, just a normal full moon. Okay, normal full, normal moon. full moon. Normal full moon. So in this case, the moon was not within the 90% closest. That's right. I mean, not 90%, sorry, the 10% closest. Yes, of the to, 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 of to its the, orbit to, uh, on the orbit to the Earth. Mm. Okay, also on June five, another penumbral lunar eclipse. Yeah. Okay, nothing, nothing, nothing too exciting no, there. No, nothing. Then on June twenty first, we have an annular solar eclipse, which mm. is not what you think it is. Okay, it's not a total solar eclipse. It's annular. What does annular mean? Annular eclipse. It is when you have the moon crossing the disk of the sun. 
But the moon is not too close to the Earth. It's not big enough to cover it all. Exactly. And then it is not able to cover completely the disk of the sun and you still have a ring of fire, let's say that way, mm. through the moon and the ring of fire that is the sun. And that is because, <laughs> you're going to laugh about this, it is actually a moment where there is a micro-moon. It is micro -moon. a micro-moon. Ah. Because usually when the moon is a bit farther away in its orbit around the Earth, the angular size of the moon it is just a bit smaller mm. than the apparent size of the sun. So not safe to look at without No, definitely not. Not in it's any part of it. It's very spectacular. I have seen two annular eclipses. Mm -hmm. They are very nice because, well, you're seeing these kind of rings. Not as spectacular as a total solar eclipse. That says something different. That yeah. is something different, but still it is quite wow. So mm. it, where is that happening? The path of the eclipse will begin in Central Africa and travel through Saudi oh. Arabia, northern India and southern China before entering into the Pacific Ocean. Okay, so it is actually good. So most of Eastern Africa, the Middle East and Southern Asia. Okay. Good. I hope they all enjoy it. It'll yeah, enjoy it, please. Then we have on June 22, the June solstice. July 5, normal full moon. July 5, also another penumbral lunar eclipse. Mm -hmm. Three now in 2020. Nothing too exciting. But again, penumbral eclipses are... Mm. July 14, Jupiter at opposition. So this will be the best time to observe Jupiter. So it'll be at its closest approach. We can explain a bit more about the opposition because that is something that Mercury and Venus... They do not do. They don't have yes. that. Because it is in the moment that you can put in a straight line the Sun, the Earth and that planet yes. will be... Perfectly in a line. And that also means that usually it is the moment in which we can get the best views of planets mm -hmm. because they're closest to us. Yes, maybe a little bit brighter. Definitely much brighter. Yeah. You can see that. Definitely, for example, with Mars. Mm. But depending on the year or depending on the orbits, the distance between the two planets, the Earth and the planet that we are considering, is different. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, both kind of orbits and all orbits are elliptical. And depending where you are, you have a better view one year or the other. Mm. For Jupiter, it is not that important. For Mars, it is. Very important. It is very important. Yeah. Speaking of, we have another opposition for Saturn. Saturn, Saturn on July 20th. Mm -hmm. July 22nd, Mercury at its greatest western elongation. Another one. July 28, 29, Delta Aquarius Meteor Shower. There you go, another meteor shower in the Aquarius constellation. August 3rd, normal full moon, nothing to worry about. August 12th and 13th. The Perseids. Yes, yes it is. You know this one very well, don't I you? I know that very well. <laughs> I remember observing them for many, 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 many years. Well, it's and, one of the best meteor showers to observe. Yeah, well, they're not as bright as some few other meteor showers at the moment because it has some kind of cycles of 30, mm -hmm. 30 few years, but it still is nice. And particularly that is good for our friends in the northern hemisphere because it is summertime there, very relaxing time, particularly when I'm from, from Spain. It's almost a holidays period and then you can enjoy and be in all the night observing meteors if you are away of the light pollution, mm -hmm. of course. Of course. The next we have August 13, Venus at its greatest western elongation. September 2nd, full moon. September 11th, Neptune at opposition. Mm -hmm, that is also happened too. Quite nice. September 22, September equinox. October 1, full moon. October 1, also, Mercury at greatest eastern elongation. How many That's are now? That's up to maybe five, five or six. Four or five, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, then we have October 7th, the Draconids meteor shower. 
Mm -hmm. That is another nice one. Four observers in the northern hemisphere, because yes. it is from the Draco constellation. Yes. Very close to the North Celestial Pole. Mm -hmm. Then October 13, Mars at opposition. Mars in opposition. There we go, we've got Mars. October 21 to 22, we have the Orionids meteor shower. Another nice one. One that's a good one for very late in the evening or early in the morning. Mm-hmm. As it is coming from Orion, and that is the debris of the rest of the Halley Comet. Yeah. Everyone from the northern and the southern hemisphere can enjoy that meteor shower. Mm. Again, if you're far from the light pollution. Of course. Then we have another full moon in October, which means on October 31st, it is a blue, blue moon. Blue moon. So we have a blue moon. That's mm. uh, for sure. That will be in the news. Oh, definitely. 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 Other things but it's not a blue be. super moon. Uh, just yeah. a blue moon. Likely. <laughs> Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Also on October 31st, is Uranus is at opposition. Mm -hmm. There's another okay. opposition planet. November 4th and 5th, Taurus meteor shower. November 10th, Mercury greatest western elongation. There you go. It's probably number seven there. November 17 to 18, Leonid's meteor the shower. Leonid's meteor shower. Mm -hmm. Another pretty good one. Mm -hmm. November 30, full moon, also penumbral lunar eclipse. The fifth. The fifth. Fourth or fifth penumbral lunar eclipse we've had. And of course, December 13, 14, Geminid's meteor shower. Mm -hmm. Always a great meteor shower to observe. And then I think this is the one you may have been talking December I mean, 14. That is the one. I mean, we have been talking about different kind of events and things that are happening in the sky during the year. There is, I will say, only one remarkable one that we have mentioned so far, which is the uh, annular eclipse. Mm -hmm. And the one that you're going to mention right now. Yes, is very December much 14 is the total solar eclipse of 2020. Yes. Which will be visible from South America, crossing Southern Chile and Southern Argentina. Chile and Argentina. Mm -hmm. And I will be there. Yay! I will be there. As, I'm jealous. <laughs> and as I was, as I haven't had a chance of talking about that, observing and living the experience of the 2019 total solar eclipse mm -hmm. on the 3rd of July yep. 2019. Amazing place, also in Chile. Mm. Chile, like. Very lucky. They have have two in a row. They two in two a row. In a row. From there, I will say a couple of things. One, well, I got some very pretty images as I still have to process. I have been able to play a bit with some few of them, but in the bus while I was mm -hmm. moving from one place to another there in Chile, because I was invited to participate in a tour for doing astronomy. So we were doing the tourist things during mm. the day and some nights, particularly when we were in Atacama and also for the solar eclipse, that was the main theme, in the Elqui Valley, very close to La Serena, to one of the most important cities in Chile, doing a bit of stargazing. And it was really a full experience that we are going to repeat for 2020. Yes, oh, it's so exciting. But eventually I should try to process the rest of the images because I have the full sequence of wow. the observation. It was very funny because in the same place, beautiful landscape with the view in the, the distance of Las Campanas telescope. We met many people that were coming in different groups. Um, do you know who was there too? I know one of my colleagues from the observatory was there, but who else was there? She was there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, Mel. Yes. Mel was there. And Fred Watson. Oh, Fred, yes. Fred and another colleague of ours, uh, Stuart Ryder, mm -hmm. and some few other professional astronomers that were coming in different groups. And as I was 
basically the only one who was able to speak Spanish and English. <laughs> I was in charge of giving a speech to everyone in front mm. of, I don't know how many, probably we were 150, 200 people. Oh, yeah. And also using my telescope for taking photos of the sun before the eclipse. Yeah. Because the eclipse was starting at 2.33 in the afternoon. We were there very early. Mm-hmm. At 8.30 in the morning. Oh, wow, that just, is really... No, be, uh, because uh, there was a problem. Not a problem. It is just... That is a ballet and there is only a road. Right. And if everyone was getting there, at the same time, you might be stuck in traffic and not get to your place. Fair time. enough. So yeah, we, and you need to be there on time. We need to be there. The solar eclipse waits for no one. In the morning, while I was setting up my telescope that I took with me, I don't know how many people, but I can easily say more than 100 people took photos with the cameras through the telescope and the, to the sun and they were very happy and I said sorry but for the eclipse it's me who is going to be taking plenty of photos mm-hmm. and later it was just immediately after the totality plenty of people started to live in different oh. buses because of that because of the road because there was oh, only a road yeah, just and you one could road. see plenty of buses line up and cars and they were not moving well wow. I convinced and that was before we live in I convinced my group to stay there for a bit of stargazing. Mm-hmm. We enjoyed a lot. The ah. night sky there. And oh, it would have been gorgeous. The planets and some nebula and so on. We left at around 8 p.m. We got to our hotel at 12.30 mm. at night, only 50 kilometers away. Oh, wow. People that have left at 4.30 after the totality. Mm, we're they still, still were arriving at 12. Wow. And some people even didn't arrive till early morning next wow. day. It was crazy. <laughs> so definitely worth staying back. Yes. That was one of the things I wanted to say. Let me quickly say the other one, which is the most important for everyone who really wants to observe a total solar eclipse. Mm-hmm. Only in the path of totality, you can see the yes. total solar eclipse. Yes. I was very surprised that many people in Santiago in particular, mm-hmm. Santiago that was very close to the path of the totality, it was like 92, 93% the moon covering the sun. Mm. But they were really thinking that they were going to see the totality. They were going to see darkness. Ah, it's like, it, is, it is only a few percent. No, 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 like, no, no. It needs to be 100. It, it needs to be 100. Yes. If it is not, if it is 99, you are not going to see it. No. You have to go to the path of the totality. That's exactly right. And that is very important. And so you get to see it on December 14, 2020. I'm so jealous. Okay, but we'll quickly finish up the year of 2020. So in December 21, we have a rare conjunction between Jupiter and Saturn. Okay. Which is yeah. exciting. When is that? So... Uh, December 21st. December 21st. December 21st, also on the, the December solstice. So they will okay, only then. appear seven arc minutes away from each other. Mm-hmm, but that will be very close to the western horizon. You know, the sun will be moving in that path of the sky very soon. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, then we have on December 21 and 22, the Ursid's meteor shower, and then finishing off the year on December 30, a normal full moon. Okay. Good. Well, thank you very much for that summary of the astronomical events that we are having for 2020. My pleasure. I hope you guys enjoy some of those events. But let's quickly do a what's up to finish off. Yay! Yay. What's up? Um, So we have been in the last couple of episodes talking about stars. So let's go to change a bit. Yes. Let's go to a galaxy. Let's do a galaxy. I love a galaxy. galaxy. I love a good galaxy. And just randomly, just checking, okay, we were talking about a kernel the previous episode, Eridanus, it is a nice constellation. 
Also, let's go to San Seninerinus, and I remember that one of my favorite galaxies, NGC 1300. Oh, I like this one. Eridanus. It can be seen from the south and from the northern hemisphere because the declination of this object it is not even minus 20 degrees. That's you, pretty good. You cannot yeah. only see it from 70 degrees north. Of course, it will be relatively low over the horizon. Of because, course. But, but still, that's all, pretty good. All the things. There are some few very nice images of the Hubble Space Telescope of this spiral galaxy that have a very prominent bar in the center and yes. two main arms with plenty of star formation, starting at the end of the bar. The galaxy is about 61 million light-years away, and it has a size of around 110,000 light-years across, which is so more or less... a decent Milky Way size? Yes, yeah, so it is more or less the same size of the Milky Way, and it is a member of the Eridanus cluster of galaxies. Ah. Which, and it was discovered by John Herschel in 1835, and of course, it has a central supermassive black hole that is not active, meaning that it's not accreting any kind of matter, but we estimate a mass of around 73 million times the mass of the Sun. Oh, that's decent. Yes. It's, it's quite decent. Mm -hmm, it is actually, even though this galaxy is more or less the same size of the Milky Way, the supermassive black hole in the Milky Way it has... Three, four millions. So that is much more massive, this object. It is relatively easy to see with a, a small telescope if you are under very good skies and far away from the light pollution with yes. a magnitude of around 11.4. So there we go. That's our episode for the first episode of 2020. Perfect. Yeah. So we are waiting for your comments and yes. your suggestions. Send us questions, send us comments. We'll answer them and uh, maybe make a whole episode out of it. Yes, for sure. So send us your feedback, send us your questions at The Scientists on Twitter, Facebook, also via email, but mostly contact us by Twitter. Yes, yes. The best try way try to go. it by Twitter because it is the best way of doing that. Yes. Okay. But bye for now. Bye bye. Thank you for listening.
Aha, there you go. So we'll reach the perihelion. The planihelion. Goodbye planes. <laughs>